Last time on this special series of the Game Changers, looking at the character of leadership and particularly the dimensions of leadership, Dr. Lawrence Wainwright and I had the opportunity to explore the nature of personal leadership. This time we're going to talk about tactical leadership and we're going to talk about teams and we're going to talk about groups and we're going to talk about how to draw the best out of people when we're working together for a cause and in a context. I'm excited. I can't wait. Let's go. Before I start my conversation with today's Game Changers special series guest, Adriano, can you share with our audience a little insight into our Series 11 sponsor? Thanks, Phil. Of course. We are proud to be partnered with the School for Tomorrow and Alex Ballot Portland Education in delivering a dynamic coaching-based leadership program called Lead Now. Lead Now provides the opportunity for emerging and established middle leaders to further build towards their full potential, contributing to the ongoing high performance of the school community they serve. Head to aschoolfortomorrow.com forward slash coaching. Let's go. Hello, Lawrence. Thank you again for coming back and talking about leadership with me. Hello, uh, absolute pleasure to be here. I'm really excited about this uh, this conversation as we as we move through the various stages. And now we're sort of getting getting our hands dirty. We're saying how do we how do we get things done? What's this sort of uh, relationship between between people and uh, and people and plan? What are the what are the maneuvers? What are the tactics that we actually need to get things done? To have the leader take people on this on this compelling journey from where they've started to where they need to get to. Before we jump into the provocation, I have a question for you. I want yep. you to tell me what's the most enjoyable team you've ever worked with and why. I'm going to say it was, a, it was at, at UC Berkeley working with Professor Robert Strand, who in my estimates is probably the tied first best leader that I've ever had the privilege of being, um, being in a team with. Robert is just one of those amazing people who does all of those things that we touched on in our last conversation makes you feel like you're most, the most important person in the room, charismatic, inspiring, empathetic, caring, the way that he was able to sort of unify um, the team that we worked in to get things done um, was, quite, was quite remarkable. And the way that he sort of understood the interplay between the strategic and the tactical levels was, uh, was, was brilliant. So that was probably the team where I most enjoyed being a part of and was felt most valued and, and was lucky enough to be working with a fantastic leader. So I'm going to throw the question back back to you now. Yeah, you see, it's a great idea asking a good question, isn't it? And then realizing halfway through the answer that you're going to have to respond <laughs> in kind, exactly. isn't it? I think I'm going to talk about a team that I've really enjoyed working with rather than the team I've really yeah. enjoyed with working most. I'm working with a wonderful team of people right now to build a character leaders network in Australia and elsewhere, which is all premised on the notion that we need a space for practicing leaders, particularly in education, to go to have quiet space, to have genuine collegial space, to reflect and to allow themselves to be formed by the circumstances. Uh, and, and of course, it's for people with PhDs. So Dr. Rob Lowe, Dr. Hugh Chilton, Dr. Annette Pierre-Gisol and myself. And what I really enjoy about that team is how different all of us are and everybody brings a different piece to the puzzle and none of us would be capable of doing this thing by ourselves um, yes and it reminds me of why i love teams so much which is that you can't do it by yourself i, I don't know i don't know about you lawrence but i don't believe in the myth of phil i don't believe it feels that good really at, at anything <laughs> i never really have and i crave 
the collegiality and the support of others in the team around me because I know instinctively that we will do it better if we do it together, you know? Yep. And so great team I'm working on at the moment, you know, go to characterleaders.net, characterleaders.net and have a look at the work that we're doing around their listeners. Uh, it's, I, I think it's going to be really quite special. Lawrence, should we talk about tactical leadership? Shall I throw a provocation let's, up again and then you can, you can tell, tell, that. tell us where we're going, okay? Um, before, we, before we do so, um, I think that's a great answer, um, what you were saying around um, people bringing their different um, you know, skills, attributes, different perspectives to the, to, the, to the group. And as you say, it's impossible to get things done by oneself. And you know, humans are, um, you know, in, in our nature, cooperative species, and we depend on other people. Um, our survival depends on working in, in, uh, in groups. And just to circle back to sort of my initial answer around Professor Robert Strand, perhaps I sort of more in that response focused on, on the leader, but in terms of the group dynamics there, I think one of the things that he did sensationally well as a leader is he was able to understand the inventory that he sort of had in the team, um, who was doing what, who was good at what, who enjoyed what, and he was able to sort of divide up sort of the, the work, the tactical level work um, to give each person the best possible chance of doing something that, that they found fulfilling, rich, meaningful, and that they were good at. So absolutely agree with everything that you've just, uh, that you've said. So. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? It's um, yeah. Again, if I think about the four of us working together as a team, Annette will jump in and lead things and then Rob will, and then Hugh will, and then occasionally I'll, I'll stick my nose in and, and try and guide some stuff around. Each of us has to permission each other to go in, and the others to go into that space as well too. And I think that's really, really important. Um, it's yeah. not just about being good at something because quite often when you when you step into the space, you're not good at it. Like you actually need to practice it in the space to get better at it. But yes. it's, um, it's uh, I think forbearance, it's a very old fashioned term, but it's a very important term when it comes to working in any sort of team. People have to um, allow you into the space and um, gracefully suffer through whatever it is that you have to offer, as well as appreciate the stuff that you do well, uh, you know, but they've got to show that forbearance that says it's not about me, it's about us. And therefore, yeah, it's your turn to shine. You know, it's up you go. You can step up to the plate. So, well said, you know. well said. So tactical leadership. We need yep. to develop a suite of different and authentic character leadership styles that will help us to relate, to connect and achieve with teams in a variety of situations. That's the basic yes. proposition. The team yep. leadership is about a suite of styles, not one approach. Yep. yep. We can draw on a leadership that is built on a disposition towards considered reflection and telling the truth, even yep. and especially when it's unwelcome, that engenders trust, loyalty, and responsibility. It's a bit counterintuitive, isn't it? But, you know, that's, that's how it is. And it creates a willingness to explore selflessness and even self-sacrifice in achieving the purpose of the team and the wider organisation. Now, as leaders, we have, generally speaking, and particularly the more you go up within organisations, you've probably got more opportunity to create and interact with a greater number of teams than you do with individuals at times. But in doing so, you can probably only allow yourself to spend so much time with them before you need to move on to another group. It's like your personal leadership. You've got to choose your moments, don't you? As such... Our role is to enhance the journey of the team through the commitment of our energy and emotion towards their success, combined with the best role modelling we can provide to team members of the way we do things here. And in this way, we can influence the development of an authentic culture, the who and the when, that will direct creative thinking, sound judgment and patient enthusiasm towards the organisation's desired vision, which is the why, 
the strategy, which is the how, and the goals, which is the what. And to do this most effectively, we can't be all things to all people. What we can do is to learn how to present the best version of ourselves that meets the need of the team with whom we are working to lead in the moment by making wise and timely decisions, managing risk and generating and making the most of opportunities to excel while supporting others to do the same. There we go. That's our provocation, Lawrence. Wow. What a, what a, what a provocation. I mean, that was, that was powerful stuff. And I hope your listeners uh, understand, you know, the, the, the richness and the significance of, of what you've, of what you've just said. And it may take a second um, just to sort of stop and think, and you might even want to go back and rewind for a couple of minutes and just listen to that again. Cause that was pretty, pretty powerful, uh, pretty powerful stuff, Dr. Cummins. Oh, thank you, Dr. Wainwright. And of course, what you're doing there is you're alluding directly to that opportunity for considered reflection. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it is it is a, a critical um, a critical aspect of that. So, would you like to sort of start unpacking this piece by piece? How would you like to? Uh, how would you yeah, like let's to do that. Why don't we start with reflection, if you like? Because yeah, again, it's, I mean, the last episode we talked about the cult of busyness that infects yeah. and just, just just generally buggerizes a whole lot of stuff that goes on in leadership. A lack of reflection and the rush to agency. I think does the same within team leadership. Um, yes. Don't stop and think. You just do, and then you have to deal with the consequences later. Really, don't you? So, how how do you think it is that team leaders and tactical leaders can allow themselves the time to think? I mean, as you, as you might imagine, I'm not a great fan of ready, fire, aim. Yeah, it's a it's a wonderful question, and you know, the first thing I'll say is that um, a lot of a lot of a lot of managers who are managers and not leaders. They spend their days um, putting out putting out fires. They're, they're running from one thing to the next, running around like a headless chicken. Um, they're, they're they're keeping busy in the eyes of other people. They're busy and they're working hard. They're running around with piles of paper and and so on. But it's it's constant chaos. The conversations that they are having with the groups um, that they are looking after, and I won't I won't say the groups that they're leading because by my estimates they're not leading the groups. They're managing the groups. Um, they are not those. Um, they have not perhaps even, had perhaps the, even mismanaging the groups, my friend. In, in many cases, causing a lot more harm than than good. And we know in the literature that that's that that's the case in for the to be honest for the majority of uh, majority of teams in, in in businesses. So I think that um, that reflection is just absolutely uh, seminal um, to developing the big picture plan. And we're going to talk about strategic um, uh, leadership in the next session. And then, of course, tactical leadership. How do you actually manifest that plan on a day-to-day level? What does it look like? What are the maneuvers um, and movements that you have to make? Um, the linkages between the day-to-day stuff and the the big um, the big picture. And of course, there's a you know inseparable intrinsic intersection between between people and plan. And we're starting the conversation now around around people. But as we go on in the next half hour, we can move over to to the actual plan to the to the tactical. Um, yeah, but I, look, I think it's you know to your question and. I've given a bit of a politician answer there, jumping, jumping around. But you know, reflection has to be deliberate. You can't just assume that things are going to come to you in the shower and what to say to your team in the morning at a very important meeting when people are having doubts about what lies ahead. You can't, you can't just let it sort of come to you. You have to make time to, to think, to stop, to pause, to take a couple of hours in the morning and, and to, uh, to be in a state where you can actually tap into that deeper level Get away from the emails. Get away from the busyness. Um, stop and and think about those that you are leading. Think about the team that you are leading. So I'm going to this meeting in two hours. 
Um, we're in a tough position at the moment. Um, sales are down. Confidence is down across the organizations. Um, global pandemic, people are scared about what's, what's ahead. How am I going to um, run this meeting today? How am I, what am I going to say that's going to uh, um, offer people that, um, that, that hope that they need, but also realistic hope and not, not over-promising? So yes, I, I, th- I think it has to be, it has to be deliberate and, and it can't come to you in those, in those moments where you're jumping between tasks. It has to be in those, in those deep flow um, states where you can tap into that deeper level within, within oneself as a, as a leader. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, um, I've got a, a, a colleague and a friend who is very clear about this and it sounds r- ridiculous, but, you know, he says you have to allow time to think. Um, you have to allow time to think. Uh, one of my favourite examples and of, of decision-making comes from Dwight Eisenhower before he um, made the, the, the decision to launch the D-Day landings on the 6th of June in 1944 and you know originally they were going to go on the first of june and then the weather got in the way and this and that and the other and somebody i think this was after the war somebody asked him how he made the decision and very very pragmatic answer he said well took the dog for a long long walk walked here and there thought it all over made up my mind came back wrote the orders delivered the orders went to bed that's how i made the decision but in, inherent in that is the idea that you're actually going to take the time to think it through and you're actually going to take the time to decide what the thing is that needs to get done in response to all the sorts of factors that you were talking about. I, I, sorry to interrupt. I, I, I love that. And, you know, as a, as a bit of an amateur history buff myself, I think the words that he said when he made the decision to his, uh, to his top commanders was, let's go. And that's a, that's Let's your phrase as well, which is which is very funny. But there's a reason why it. there's a reason why that it's it's the catchphrase, of course. It's I was, I was watching I was watching a documentary on the landings probably last year, and and you know I think that that decisiveness could not have come to him had he not had that time out to reflect, had he not had that walk with the dog to actually think about the situation, to tap within that deeper level. Um, and the trouble there is if that reflective piece hasn't happened before. What can happen as a leader is there's indecisiveness. There's doubting oneself. They're saying, well, should we do this? Should we, should we not be jumping around between decisions and so on? And you're almost undermining the confidence of those who you are leading in, in doing so. And he came to that decision. He said, yep, the weather's turned a little bit. It's not perfect, but it's, it's good enough. Um, we can't postpone this any longer. The Germans are going to figure out what we're doing. Um, let's, let, let's go. Let's do it. Um, I've made a decision now. Let's, let's carry it out. And that decisiveness, again, I don't think that can come um, unless you've had those reflective moments beforehand. And you've got to practice it too, don't you? You've got to practice yes. it. Because like every, like every skill, you don't get instant mastery over these sorts of things. Um, I, think one of the things, I think one of the things that I've learned to do over time is to allow myself the time to think, but then in the space, that liminal space between you and me before I've got to go and interact, then yeah. I clear my mind absolutely. I don't, I don't walk in with notes. I don't walk in with dot points or anything like that. I just clear my mind so that I can then be in a space with the people on there. And I may have made a decision. I might not have made a decision. Still might be tossing some things up. That's okay. At least I've done my preparation. I've done my reflection. I've done my thinking. But then I'm, I'm allowing a transition from the preparation into the moment. Can, can, I, can I ask, um, what's your process for this reflective period? I mean, are you... Are you- stopping and pausing and thinking are you going in a walk with your dog are you 
getting a whiteboard out and jotting things down? I mean, how, how, how does this actually manifest in a practical level uh, for you, Dr. Cullen? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed to be the one answering it. But, but, so, but what I'll say is that I do it in different ways. So um, one of the ways I do it, I'll, I'll, I'll um, process through conversations with trusted aides and, and, and trusted colleagues. Um, so quite often I will, re- I will rehearse a conversation, particularly when I'm feeling hot emotion or gloomy emotion. So, and, and you know, hot and gloomy are two very dangerous emotions to bring into a team space. You've got to manage them very, very carefully and they should be done rarely, I think. I don't think, yep. you know, like you've got to tell the truth and, you know, it's very, very important that, you, that your currency with your team is the truth no matter what it is. But at the same time, you've got to make sure that, um, you know, that, that your emotion isn't clouding your judgment and it, because, you know, gloominess is infectious, anger is infectious, um, you know, and as I said, I think you should be careful about that. So quite often I, I, will, I will process through conversation. Uh, yes, bravo, the wonder dog, he's, um, and before him, um, Earl the Pug, were wonderful ways for me to take a walk and to think about things. But the, the walk itself, I think, has parts on it. Like you don't sit there and say, I'm going to, and then, you know, five minutes on this and five on this and five on this and five on this. I think you just end up going on the walk and then you know you've got a problem that, you, that, that you're nothing, you've got a nut out, and then you'll use the time in between to think through and think around and think across as much as possible Usually what I'll find is that either I'm not sure what to do, so what I want to do is I want to test a range of different possibilities, and, and, and that's a consideration of the tactics, of the, of the possible tactics, and I like to generate as many different options as possible when I'm out on a walk. Then you go pick one. You've got to make a decision, don't you? You're going to say, yep, that's the yep. one that I'm going to do. That's kind of the middle stage of the walk, and then the end stage of the walk is clear the mind, get a coffee, get self ready, because whatever it is you're going to walk back into, um, you've got to be 100% for. But yeah, I, I, I guess, you know, processing emotion, I do with others and I will rehearse my thinking around things to arrive at a, a better way of managing people in a moment. Um, yep. And going for a walk with the dog or just going for a walk by myself or sometimes going for a drive is another way to do it. But creating a space where you are moving, I think is really good for contemplating different options and thinking around what it is that you have to do are the things that make me you know that fill me full of disquiet other other truth-telling bits because it's there's always something unpalatable so i don't believe you have to tell the whole truth all the time i don't think that's helpful but i think you have to tell the whole truth eventually and you have to reveal the parts at the time that are salient that are going to help people to process things you can't tell so little of the truth that you present something that's false but you don't have to deal with something that's just not relevant to the moment and relevant to people's thinking you know you kind of want to present the the clearest image that you possibly can in the moment when you're working through issues of sustainability with teams and these are you know sustainability is sustainability is this enormous black cloud that is hanging over humanity um you know it's it's almost like it's sustainability is it's it's an artwork by William Blake. You know, it's it's something terrible that's looming over us, or, or one of those big Japanese um, sort of medieval Japanese uh, uh, woodcuts um, that, that you know that show the the tsunami about to crash over. Here's a little team in their little space that has to deal with all of this apprehension 
around dealing with an issue and they, they have almost no control over the variables that cause the gloom and yet they've got to find their way through. So perhaps the best analogy would be to talk about the big wave surfer. You know, there you are on your little surfboard by yourself, you know, maybe you've got your little team on your surfboard, this enormous wave and you've got to find a way through the pipeline to get through to the other side. How do you help teams? How do you find teams manage that sort of big looming stuff? Yeah, well, what a what a great question, and you know, so we find ourselves at a, a pivotal point in um, in 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 our history and history of the planet. All scientific evidence indicates that we are overshooting the carrying capacity of planet Earth, and doing so um, in a very a very irresponsible manner. Whether it be climate change, whether it be biodiversity loss, um, we are overshooting um, the planetary boundaries, and we have to do something about that. Central to that is um, reconfiguring the relationship between um, business, society, and, and nature. Sustainability has finally come of age. Ten years ago, it was a bit of a fringe topic. It was something that was sort of there. It was tacked on the side. You know, the corporate social responsibility stuff was dealt with by the PR department. Um, the winds have finally changed. And, you know, in the estimates of my colleagues and I, this actually happened just before COVID. Um, it didn't happen because of COVID. It happened just before. And you know, that we got just over the tipping point of the hill and we got the momentum now. And thankfully now, um, sustainability is at the forefront of, of most people's minds on an individual level, on an organizational level, um, companies, economies, um, countries. And this, by my estimates, is probably the greatest challenge that we have ever faced. And I think um, we have about 10 years to correct our course of action. And if we don't do that, we're going to be in serious, serious trouble. Now, the challenges that we are dealing with um, by definition, require leadership. They cannot be solved in a traditional cause and effects linear manner. So linear problems uh, need management. They need a manager who can say, well, um, the lights are off. Let's turn the lights on and we'll solve the, um, we need to get the room lit up. We'll turn the lights on. We've got a problem. Um, now we're dealing with complex, uh, tangled, um, messy, nonlinear problems. These are wicked problems. They require leadership by definition, to, uh, to, to solve. The strategic and the tactical level and the interplay between them um, are pivotal. And many can feel overwhelmed by the enormity of their tasks. They think, well, I'm a, I'm a team of seven people in an organisation with 10,000, um, you know, in a country with, with 80 million, on a planet with 7 billion. What does it matter what I do? What difference am I, am I going to make? Um, the irony is that if all of us, you know, sort of broke away from that perspective, that would actually... Um, be doing very well to get out of the problems that we are that we are that we are facing. But I, I think um, you know leaders of teams need to make it very clear that that you do matter. Your actions do matter. Throwing a pebble into a into a pond um, sends ripples around, and you know getting things right on a ground uh, on a grassroots level within that team is is absolutely essential for the mission to be carried out. So we spoke about the D Day landings before. You know the the Allied. Um, you know, the Allied liberation of Western Europe was done um, at the section and the platoon level. The people who actually won the war were the ones who were, um, you know, going out in those in those sections and those platoons and carrying out the uh, the tactical missions and getting things done. Yes, the strategic plan was there, but on the the boots on the ground were, were what got it resolved. And that's the same for sustainability. We need to look at the uh, the interplay between the plan and the people between the uh, the short term, the long term, between the tactical and the strategic. That's so elegantly put. I really like the way you sort of tease it all out there. 
there's a strong element of personal responsibility, I think, that's that's built in there, but it's something that I, I guess you're suggesting, and with a great deal of wisdom, I think, that we should be inviting people into that space rather than nagging them because nagging doesn't work. You know, can I, I mean, can I, can I throw that one back to you? I mean, you know, how are we going to get out of this mess? What role is leadership going to play, tactical leadership in, in you know, dealing with this crisis that we have, that we're pushing too hard against the carrying capacity of the planet, that we... Well, we have to tell the truth. That's the starting point to it. Yeah. And too, too many voices, I think, in this particular issue aren't telling the truth. They're telling, they're constructing a narrative which suits a particular short-term financial interest. I think that's yes. pretty clear, isn't it? Um, yes. You know, I think if you look at what's happening in the world of electronic vehicles right now, yes, I know we've got Elon Musk um, pushing the barrow. Uh, in that respect, and we've got others um, uh, doing a similar sort of thing as um, Bravo, the one that dog trots up and down my wooden floor. Um, <laughs> but the majority of movement is by traditional car companies, people who've been making uh, very, very tidy profits for a long time with engines powered by fossil fuels. And look, listeners, you'll know I'm, I'm no great expert on this sort of stuff, but it seems really, really obvious. And, and if you've got a memory, 10 years ago, none of this stuff was possible. And none of it was going to happen, and we went. And, and then suddenly, the tide has changed, and we're now starting to see what really was possible. And we were told it wasn't possible, it wasn't going to happen. Now it is possible; it's going to happen. And all it is is we've just worked out how the money's going to work. Now, I think it's really important to work out how the money works and this sort of thing. I don't see any, you know, I don't see any problem with working out how an economy is going to restructure itself uh, in this way. But we've got to tell the truth. And then, yep. we've, and then we have to build those norms, that, that understanding of this is the way we do things here. Can I, can I give a really, really simple example? I was talking about Bravo, the one dog trotting up do. and down earlier. Um, <laughs> you know, when we go out on walks now, we all take little doggy bags with us, don't we, for our dogs. That's what we do. It's just the thing that we do. 10 years ago, 15 years ago, we didn't do that, yep. you know, um, uh, and we just accept it's a thing to do. We didn't do recycling. We just shoved everything in the bin. Now I, you know, every Tuesday night I get, um, you know, I, I find myself in a, in a quandary when I haven't got the, you know, if the, the glass has got to go in the glass bin and the non-glass has got to go in the non-glass bin and so on and so on because it, you, you want to get it right and you want to get yep. pride and your att attention to detail on all of those sorts of things. So I think that's, I think that's the second way. So you've got to tell the truth. You've got to change norms and create yep. the way we do things here. And then I think it's, you know, it's like the way you explain the sustainability issue. You've got to take it from the big picture all the way down. You've got to construct the narrative. You've got to work yep. with your team and, you know, you've got to practice it. You've got to rehearse it. And we talked about the importance of rehearsal and practice earlier. These are competencies, these are things that need to be mastered over time. I think there's a fourth thing that I want to add in there, Lawrence, and that is the notion of doing things that work. And this right. is part of the telling of the truth, but I think it's a really, really important one. Everywhere you go, you see teams continue to do things that just don't work because there's a conventional wisdom or there's a received practice around doing this, that, and the other. And it's just, it's just dumb. You know what I mean? It's like you just sit there and you go, we shouldn't be doing that because that's just, it's, it's not a thing that produces the outcomes that we want or that we need. It's not a thing that's effective. It's, an, it's not a thing that's efficacious. What, what, sorry to interrupt, but I just want I, I must ask this. I mean, why is it so hard for people and teams to, uh, 
to change and to realize that what they've been doing the last 10 years isn't isn't working. I mean, is it is it familiarity and, and, and habits and you know, thinking as you say, well, this is the way I've always done things and a change would be would be problematic. I mean, what why 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 are we so why is it so difficult for humans to do this? Like I think there's this, there's something around selective blindness and the work that's been done around selective blindness and the way that human beings you know see, you know, because and, and then that applies to the whole of our lives, doesn't it? You know, it's you know those classic psychology studies where the gorilla runs into the into the you know into the view of the camera, and most people don't see the gorilla because they're so focused on the game, and and that's because we don't see everything, and the way our brain works is that it fills in the gaps to allow us to see the things that we want to see or that we're expecting to see or we're predicting to see, and whereas that's you know that's 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 something that you know evolved on the plains and suited us well as you know for for tens of thousands you know hundreds of thousands of years. Um, it stops us from seeing the things that we need to. This I, I can't remember which episode and which series it was of Mad Men, um, but there's a wonderful scene um, where you know the protagonists, uh, you know, it's Don and Betty, I think it is, um, are taking their family out for a picnic, and they stop by the side of the road, and there's this beautiful grassy parkland, and not only is it really really clear that the marriage has fallen apart, the whole episode ends. They've got all this rubbish, and Betty just picks up the rug and shakes out all the rubbish and they just go back to the car and they leave their crap behind them. We would never do that now. But people did. So we've got to see it. And, and sometimes for us to see it, people have got to point it out. But as I said, I think we have to find a way of telling the truth and solving problems where we're not preaching at people, we're working yes. with them. And, and, and particularly in this area of sustainability, um, yep. I think the, the people who speak against it are yeah. able to mobilise the preachiness of those who go for it. Do you know what I mean? And and just you know, people don't like being preached at. They don't like feeling as though someone's looking down on them. They don't like being goaded no. into something. No. You know? no, no one's going to change their eating habits if you're sitting there having a steak and you know someone's having a vegetarian meal and they and they give you a ten minute lecture on how how horrible you are for eating meat and so on. I mean, you know, yes, we need we need sort of sticks and carrots to change behaviour, but you know, this polarization, this, this judgment, and, you know, sort of circle back to this, you know, tactical leadership. Leaders need to be able to, uh, um, to unify people. And, you know, it's not always going to be possible to get everyone on the same page, but leaders need to, uh, to do this, to carry out the tactical plans that are necessary to manifest the strategic. A leader must be able to, uh, to, bring, to bring people together, to find common ground, to find shared meaning. Okay, so we don't see eye to eye on everything, um, but let's look at what we do see eye to eye on. Where's the shared value? Where's the concession and compromise going to be necessary for us as a team to uh, to make, to have a broad consensus, to have a shared vision? If we are pulling all in different directions, it's going to be genuinely, well, it's going to be by definition impossible for us to carry out carry out these tactics and maneuvers that we actually need to uh, to manifest to manifest our goals. So it's 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 absolutely uh, uh, linked in, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, I really like that idea of the, the 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 way you're talking there about you know the maneuvers along the way. I mean the the notion of tactics are that very rarely does one choose a particular approach to doing. That's all a tactic is. It's just a particular approach, a sequence yeah. of actions that are going to get you from step A to step B. Very rarely will those tactics get you from step A to step Z or step Z for our North American listeners. Um, 
very rarely is it going to get you all the way. And in fact, the tactics that got you from A to B aren't necessarily the tactics that will get you from B to C. And I think yes. one, of the, one of the skills of the leader, as I said, is you've got to rehearse options. And I think you have to be prepared to discipline yourself to argue against your implicit favourite. So if there's a particular way you always like to do things, then you need to... I think, I think you consciously need to mess it around. You consciously need to disrupt yourself. You constantly need to try a different uh, approach just to see if it will work better, just to see if it will provoke a different sort of response. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. I mean, would you say that this could be done, you know, with the group? Would you say, you know, if you've got, you've got your team there and you're saying, look, so my, my inclination here is to do ABC, but I've acknowledged that I have a bias towards doing ABC because I'm familiar with it because I've done it before and so on. Um, do you as a group think that this is the right approach to, to, to take? Um, you know, or do you think that, do you think that most of the decisions should be made? I mean, yeah, how, how would that process actually um, manifest? I'm really sceptical about groupthink. I'm really, really sceptical about crowdsourcing decision-making because I think yeah. at the end of the day that one thing you have as the leader, <laughs> you have the responsibility for the decision. Now, where yeah. the decision comes from is irrelevant, whether it's your idea, somebody else's idea or a group idea, but I think it's your decision at the end of the day to make and i think it's it's really important if you are going to ask the group for advice yeah. um you know and as i said i'm skeptical of groupthink therefore i'm just revealing an implicit bias aren't i so i'm yeah. saying that's but, well, but I, 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 I i'm as well i'm as well yeah. absolutely so but 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 i think i think you have to um at on occasion it will be the right thing to do so on occasion it will be the right thing to do is work the group through to um an answer or a decision. And you might even not be the person to work them through. You might get somebody else to facilitate and just step back and observe. And, and then you'll make a decision in your, own, in your own head. And, you know, if the group runs with it, they run with it. And, you know, and sometimes there's a different objective in mind, isn't it? You're trying to build group capability and confidence. I'm just, you know, I hear people talk about my job as a leader is to make myself redundant. I don't think that happens, actually. I've never, no. ever, I've never seen that happen. I think it's just no. nonsense that sounds good on an Instagram tile. So I think, yes, sometimes run it past the group. Sometimes you do it yourself. Sometimes you go and ask a mate who's not involved. So you ask a colleague yeah. who's in a comparable position elsewhere, what would you do? So you go and ask for advice. Sometimes you can ask someone within the organisation to do it. And, and, and sometimes if you're going to get the group to do it, you get different people to do different bits of it. So, you know, you might have five pieces that need to be done and, and then your job is to try and string them all together. Bearing in mind that the more people you involve in decision-making, you can pretty much double, treble, quadruple the amount of time that you're going to need to do things yes. at the end. Yeah. So the, I'm a very big believer in delegation. You know, delegate, supervise, provide feedback. But the more you delegate, the more you need to confirm for understanding. And that's something that people forget to do all the time. Um, you know, you need to confirm for understanding just because you said, are you right to do this? And they go, yep, yep, yep I'm right. No, go back and confirm. So, Tell me what your understanding is and tell me when you're going to do it and tell me what it looks like, et cetera, et cetera. I just need yeah. to know. And then that's where you find out that, you know, 30% of what they're trying to do is <laughs> what needs to be done. The other 7% isn't quite there. So you work on the bit that's going to work and then you can add the other stuff in there as well too. But again, th this is this notion of different styles, different approaches, and then making a choice, making yes. a decision along the way. And that's the element of, I think the element of, of, personal leadership that we talked about last time more than anything else, I think there's connection probably. Yes. I think with tactical leadership, it's decision-making. 
you know, at the end yep. of, you know, Harry, Harry Truman, the buck stops here, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's gold in my ear, um, making the decision, you know, making the decisions about the six day war. It's like, no, we're going to do this. We're choosing all these military analogies. Maybe next conversation <laughs> we can choose a bit of non-military stuff as well too. But, you know, it's, it's, um, I think, I think the decision-making uh, is important and, and, and it must be a timely decision. Like it's better to run with, the best decision available, even if it's not a perfect decision, than to make yep. no decision at all under a <laughs> tactical situation. Strategically, I don't think that's the case. I think strategically, you're quite right to pause because it has bigger implications, but perhaps we can talk about that when we have our next conversation. Look, I mean, you, you've really hit the nail on the head there and there's so many nuggets of wisdom in what you've just said. Um, I, I think it's about this idea of, as you say, you know, um, you know, it's about satisficing. It's about saying, okay, well, um, I've got incomplete information to, to work with. Um, I've got to make a decision in a, in a short amount of time. It's a moderately important decision. It's not going to change the course of, of um, you know, of, of the future, but it's, it's one I want to get right. So here's the decision that I'm going to take. As you alluded to, um, you know, the level to which you involve the group in the decision does vary on the situation. My approach tends to be something like this. So I'll go and speak to the team that I'm leading and seek genuine um, input from them. So with the students um, of the course that I direct, um, you know, a, a tactical level decision. Okay, so, you know, we're going to do a class trip um, next term. There's three options. We go to Copenhagen, we go to London, we go to Amsterdam. And, and this is my thinking on the different topics. Now, what do you as a class think about this? And 10 people put their hands up and say, well, I think this is that. So I, I've taken on board their feedback. I've got my hands dirty. I've gone down to the trenches and seen what's going on. I then take away that feedback. Um, I ultimately make the decision, but I do so based on having genuinely taken on board what has been said. And it's not just a sort of facade of democracy where the decision has already been made. I'm going through the, you know, going through the, the, the routine, you know, the council development stuff. They say, well, there's a period of public consultation, but, you know, already the development's been approved and it's just a facade of democracy. But in this case, I really like to actually genuinely listen to what people have to say, take it on board, make a decision and, and run with it. So, and again, I think there are dangers in groupthink and there are dangers and there's, there's myths in leadership around, as you say, around making yourself redundant, around, you know, the team making the decisions. I mean, I've got Jeffrey Pfeffer's book here from Stanford, um, Leadership BS. Mm. Well, what, a, what a great writer Jeffrey Pfeffer <laughs> is as well too. You know, Pfeffer and Noons, uh, their work on, on leadership teams, which is, again, fabulous book on, which, you know, the, the starting point for it is only have a team if you need a team. What a great, you know. It's, anyway. it's lovely, isn't it? And you know, anyway, yeah, anyway sorry, I, I cut you off there. You're talking about you're talking about leadership BS to share. No, no, no worries at all. Um, so I think Jeffrey Pfeffer's work at Stanford um, is is remarkable, and I certainly think that he's one of the world's leading voices on the matters matters of of leadership and also on power. And what's remarkable about this book is he debunks a lot of these these myths and stories that we tell about leadership, which sound lovely but are not um, are not empirically true. And, and again, some of the things we were referring to before, um, you know, sound lovely in sentiment. And when leaders recount their own stories, they often tend to omit the, the sort of the ugly parts of, of what went on, you know, the inconvenient truths and so on, and the, the power plays that were necessary for them to get to the top. And, and Pfeffer, um, you know, gets down, to the, uh, um, gets down to the really sort of um, basic level of what we know about leadership, what we don't know. And sort of breaks away from these, you know, these lovely LinkedIn posts that sound fantastic and get ten thousand likes, but um, you know they're based on, as as Seth puts it, sort of based on hopes and dreams rather than seeing reality as it 
as as it is. And I think effective tactical leadership, um, you know, requires that. It requires debunking these myths, um, seeing what works and seeing what doesn't, looking at the body of evidence that we have around groups. And we do have a phenomenal amount of evidence around groups, um, particularly from psychology. We we know an awful lot about how groups work, how group processes work, how decisions are made, and and the best ways of actually optimizing um, optimizing that. And perhaps in a future conversation, I'd love to go into some of that literature in depth and talk talk a bit about some of the some of the do's and, and don't do's. But yes, we do have a literature on leadership, and we do also have many things that have been debunked. And as listeners, I sort of caution you. Well, I ask you to keep an eye of skepticism um, when you see those lovely sort of you know statements and so on. Um, don't don't sort of dismiss them, but um, view them with a degree of uh, of, 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 of you know have a critical lens to it as well. I think um, I want to pick up on just that that, that last point because there's so much there's a lot of wisdom in what you're talking about there. A friend of mine, um, Chef Ben Cooper, who's um, uh, <laughs> the chef for the Chin Chin and Lucas group of of restaurants uh, in Melbourne and elsewhere. He I, I really like his approach as a leader and as a thinker because it is so grounded in scholarship. He reads voraciously and then he's skeptical and he's selective about what he takes on board. And everything is grounded and tested, and you know it's uh, you know it's something can achieve a million likes because it should, or something can achieve a million likes because it's liked. And quite a lot of leadership involves moderating the space and mediating the space around the difference between what we like and what we have to do, you know, and what and what should be done. I, I can. I, you mentioned something a little bit earlier, which I think would be a great point to finish this notion of tactical leadership on, which is the notion of a mission. Talk yep. to me about what you think a mission is and how a leader <laughs> helps a team to form a sense of mission from which tactics and approaches towards achieving that mission might be. Um, yeah, <clears throat> great, great question. So um, in the next series, we'll talk about this idea of strategic leadership, but I have to mention it now very quickly. So we need to know who we are where we've come from, where do we need to get to, um, how might we best um, get there, and why do we need to go there? The leader needs to tell that story in a compelling, motivating, inspiring, empathetic manner. And from that, it needs to be broken down into, a, into an operational plan, a tactical plan. So we have this big, um, we have this big vision as to what, what needs to get done. Um, we've got this three- to five-year plan, maybe even a 10-year plan, what does this actually look like on a on a day to day basis? How is this going to manifest practically? I used the word <clears throat> the word maneuvers before, but it's so pivotal. What are the what are the maneuvers? What are the movements that we have to make on a on a daily a daily basis to uh, to, to manifest this? So, someone says, "Well, I I need to get my PhD done. It's going to take me five years. Um, I've got my I've got my plan. Working with my working with my team. Um, what's it going to look like in a day to day level? What it's going to look like?" Getting in front of that keyboard, um, writing, writing away, um, and, and getting it, and getting it done. And the leader needs to be able to uh, to make high quality tactical decisions that work for the mission, that work for the team that they're leading, and that feel genuine and authentic um, to themselves. Um, you know, there's instant and delayed gratification, and I think a, good, a big part of um, good quality decision making in tactical leadership is about seeing the interconnection between the short-term, the medium-term, and the long-term, and thinking through the often hidden second and third-order consequences of what's to come. So we say, okay, let's take this decision now. It looks attractive on the surface. It's going to give us 
um, some quick wins, but in the medium term, it's actually going to cause us quite a significant amount of harm. So let's actually take this tougher decision now in the short term, which is going to cause us a little bit of short-term pain, but it's going to give us long-term gain. So a good leader with the team is going to be able to sort of war game, to brainstorm, to think through those potential unintended consequences, those second and third order um, uh, you know, consequences of a decision that is, that is taken. Seeing that link between the uh, instant delay gratification, seeing that link between the uh, the strategic, um, the tactical, and then that really basic level of, 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 of operational. Um. So tactical uh, leadership is about the leader making uh, good quality decisions that work for the team, that work for the group, that work for the uh, for the overall um, strategic strategic mission. Doing so in a in a democratic, um, empathetic, uh, motivating, inspiring, um, inspiring manner. What a great point for us to finish, Lawrence. That's a that's a tremendous summary of the conversation that we've had about tactical leadership. Listeners, I invite you to return next week um, as Lawrence and I start to look at the notion of of strategic leadership, which is about <laughs> the organisation and all of the things um, that go into it. Thank you, Lawrence. Thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun. And uh, listeners, I really hope you can join us um, next week. It's going to be very exciting. We're going to build on, on a lot of the concepts that we've, uh, we've laid out uh, in today's uh, session. Let's go. Let's go. Game Changers is a podcast for those who want to change the game of school. Produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions and powered by a school for tomorrow, Game Changers is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play and SoundCloud. Tell your friends and don't forget to subscribe. Let's go.